You're listening to a special edition of Midori House, first broadcast on the 27th of December 2018 on Monocle 24. This is a special edition of Midori House, showcasing the best of our print media programme on Monocle 24, The Stack. I'm Tom Edwards. Now, today's programme is all about fashion. In the past 12 months, the Stack team spoke to the editors of many leading fashion publications from all around the world. And the programme's producer and sometime co-presenter, Fernando Agoste Pacheco, is here with me to present this look back. Uh, Faye, where should we start our fashion special? Well, Tom, if the show is about fashion, there's no better way of starting the show than with the iconic Anna Del Ruzzo, the Italian fashionista with a stellar 30-year career as a fashion editor. Currently the editor-at-large for Vogue Japan, Anna is a big fan of print, of course, and launched a book about her career and her look. It is not a conventional volume, as you might expect. Here is my chat with her. Ana de Luruzzo, a pleasure having you here at Monaco 24. I was always a big fan of yours. Thank you. And let's talk about this wonderful book I have in front of me, ADR, Book Beyond Fashion. You're iconic in in the fashion industry. When did you decide to come up with such an amazing book like this, which I have to tell, we're going to go through what's inside in a bit. Absolutely. Three years ago, because it was time to thinking about the new chapter of my life. This year I turned 30 year in fashion. Then I was thinking to make something to get the, the cycle done, you know, to, to close the cycle of my career in a good way. And uh, I thought maybe I should do a book also to make a point to thinking about it, to do a different evolution of my last chapter, not last, next chapter of my career. Everything started from my clothing collection because uh, I got a boyfriend and my boyfriend said, Angelo, which is there. And I said, he said, where is space for me? I said, oh, no, there isn't. There is full of clothes. And he said, I thought it's maybe get the boyfriend and rid of the, all these clothes. It's time to change. It's time to do room in my life. It's time to thinking the job, which is my love, my obsession, is has to be balanced by the private life also don't become so much obsessive we like collecting clothes i understand slowly slowly my collection which is very was very beautiful is became a kind of um, like a killer collection of people <laughs> it was too much you know it was something heavy on my shoulder and i was working on edit my collection and i decided to make a the book because I took a photograph of all the looks and that's the starting point of the book. When I realized the time that to need to do this project, I would say I should do a big, big project relate to the auction, relate to the clothing collection and relate to my uh, vision of fashion. That is a little bit complicated because uh, if you go inside to the book, uh, it's not real, uh, normal book, but it's a magic box and you have inside this part of my life, which is uh, all the pictures of my looks that became uh, like a soccer player collection, but uh, next to all my 
addition of uh, my best work in uh, Vogue, Roma Vogue, Japan Vogue. Then is a many, many phase of my job to explain how the life of fashion uh, people is very layered, no? it's very complicated. It's not just glamorous, uh, it's not just fun, but also you have a lot of discipline uh, beyond fashion. When was your break in fashion, actually? Because, you know, of course, everybody knows that, you know, super glamorous working at Vogue Japan. What was your kind of first job or first entry first, in the uh, world? No, I started with Franca Sozzani right away mm-hmm. after Domus Academy in the 88. After my university, I came to Domus Academy, which is what used to be be a master of fashion one year, done by Gianfranco Ferrer. After that, I did uh, my interview with Franca Sozzani, was, uh, because she took uh, Vogue Italia at the time. I started uh, right away working uh, with the six-year-old editor-in-chief of Womo Vogue, and now it's 11 years in Japan Vogue. Then it's alive in Condé Nast. It's amazing. Let's go through the box yeah. sets as well because it's a lot of fun stuff. A lot I, of fun. I, I, I love, I mean, the first one, you have the, you make a joke of Panini, but Panini. it's called Anna. La squadra de, del cuore. Yeah, like and a football player. Mm-hmm. There's even some stickers here yeah, as well. Yeah, a sticker. It, it's, this it's, is the look. This is all the look mm. here. Then you collecting the look. This is all my, it's a um, real looks of my col- uh, collection of clothing. And I took uh, almost 300 pictures to have all the looks done. I put these looks inside of the book, but all these looks was in the auction, or Christie auction and at a porte online, sold out in two days for charity, for um, student, fashion student. It's amazing. Let, let's go through more. There's there's this nice book as well, which again shows some of your work, uh, yeah. Vogue, of, of, of That's a heavy part of my life yeah. because that was uh, the um, discipline, uh, disciplined job. Then the hard part of my uh, my job, which is Vogue issue. And the, if you notice, uh, all this fun, all the other part is fun. This is very respectful. Yeah. Uh, nothing touches. Completely Vogue. Proprio Vogue Distillato. Yeah. For those who enjoy paper, because of course this show here talks about magazine, yeah. newspaper, it, it is a treat. I mean, do you like paper? Of course we live in an online world. I mean, social media is very important. But, you know, paper, when you work yeah. at Vogue Japan, it's so important still, Absolutely. you know, the power of print. Mamma mia. Japan, they lucky because they have the best paper. Eh? Mm. If you notice that Vogue Japan mm. has the best quality of paper of every other Vogue. But for me, paper is very important. But I made a book because I said also the book is going to replace the magazine print because now if the magazine, the print magazine going to little bit disappear, it's better to make a book right away because if you have this paper, at least you have something to touch. And I would like to make this experience in a book, you know. It, it is want, an experience. There's yeah. so many little things so many that... Little, also yeah. touch, you yes, can chat yes. different kind of paper. You can have a fun, you can have a relax, you can play with something. That's very important too, because uh, it's kind of an uh, entertainment book. Yes, and, and you know, I love, there's also a booklet, The Rules, Tips ah, and yeah, Advice by You. I love it. Ten, yeah. ten Fashion Week Rules, let's say... Nothing succeeds like excess. Yeah, yeah. I think that's an important o- one sometimes. Always, always I made a splash with the look because I said uh, put the night where in the morning of feather at nine o'clock just to make a revolution impact. Uh, I always uh, try to make an effort because uh, looks uh, need an effort. Uh, 
and fashion is like a metaphor of life to do an effort in everything because every nothing comes spontaneous you should practice yourself and a fashion's changing very fast oh, uh, these yeah. days i mean who do you think are the game changers it's it's funny because you know your style was always kind of max excess you know i think we're living actually to an era of that precisely i think minimalism is a bit out you know people want some color yeah. want some you know i think after the web revolution fashion is changed so much because you have a lot of influence by people outside the business around the business outside the catwalk and luckily we have an explosion of color an explosion of a street style because everyone is was a photo be photographer by blogger and street style photographer and that's making another big influence in fashion industry because before we used to research picture references in a catwalk or in a book an historic book a photography book but street style is no was that relevant at one point became very very important and now it's changed the consumer it changed also if you think in many brands now they put a lot of money not in advertising in a print magazine but in events or in something special project with this guy with this, all this influencer let's call influencer and I think that's fantastic because it changed the communication it put a lot of new challenger or new also new room a new to make a different idea we're not um, stuck anymore in uh, what this was advertising editorial now it's kind of everything is kind of advertorial because a special project make for a brand but also explain how the people can work it together i think it is great way to dirty end i always say to make a, not the strict the roles but to work everyone in amazing team fashion worker and this is a fun message also it's a light message with the deep contents i mean when in fashion you can come light and fun with say something very deeply is very good and i also another curiosity have of course yeah. you're italian you work for vogue japan do you see different countries approaching fashion in a different way do you think let's say the japanese and yeah. the italians how how would you compare now, them now it used to be like that but now it's very very the world is making smaller because technology is it give you a lot of information and now i remember when the japanese used to know everything about uh, europe because it was so far away they was uh, looking for every every news uh, they but now everything's approachable and f- luckily all the culture became all together and now you can see Ricardo Tisci at Barbary English British my zone you Virgil at Louis Vuitton I think it's very democratic world yeah. diversity come normality I think is very great moment all the culture bring the different point of view but is come together and make a new biblic like Torre di Babele no a mm. new language mix of every different country I think is the amazing moment for me Are you still a collector because of course you mentioned that you're selling some of your pieces but, but yeah. still a little I bit still, of a collector yeah, in you yeah, right yeah. I still have the best some best pieces at home but I feel so good when I get rid of all, all of them because it was something not good about it you know uh, measure is the best way to live uh, we had to make a balance no too much is not never good also if a passion is is not good Finally, and I just want to, what are you wearing today? Today this is beautiful Attico, dress. Yeah. Attico, this new Italian label done by Gilda Ambrosio and Giorgia Tordini. The two girls, they 
very interesting because they started to be blogger, influencer. They became a designer, starting to make this uh, article label. And now the po- all the Madonna, Rita Ora, Rihanna wearing that. Uh, Anna De La Ruzzo. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, thanks. But uh, I like it because they made it not in a properly new, new way. They don't make a show, but they make a presentation. They make a few clothes, not the many. Very, very precise aesthetical. And I like to support young people always, young generation designer always. Now, 2018 was also very much a year of new fashion titles. This year, Condé Nast and Polish media venture Visteria launched Vogue Polska, the 23rd international edition of the fashion title, and it landed, Fernando, I think it's safe to say, with something of a splash. With an amazing cover uh, of two models posing in front of a black Volga car with the imposing Soviet-era palace of culture and science in the background. Tom, I spoke with the editor-in-chief of Vogue Poland, Philip Niedenthal. Let's hear it. It's been a long time coming. I can, I can remember when I started working in about 2000, people were already talking about Vogue Poland then because Vogue Russia had just launched. People have been waiting for this for a long time and the market has you know, caught up. And I think, yeah, for the past two or three years, we, we really have been ready. And tell us a bit more about the business side uh, of it, Philip. It, it's kind of a partnership between, of course, Condé Nast and Polish uh, company Visteria, right? Yeah. How does it compare to other Vogue's in the world, for example? It's a, it's a franchise, so it's governed by its own rules. We report to Condé Nast International in London, and we work very closely with Karina Dobrotowskaya and Fiona Hayes at Condé Nast. All the content is ours. We come up with it, we commission it, we produce it, and we consult it with, with CNI. What we're aiming for is to make it as Polish as possible, because it's very important for us and, and for our readers to, you know, to get a sense that this is actually for the Polish reader, with them in mind. And, and Philippe, we have to describe here to the listeners uh, the first cover, which is, you know, a beautiful shot by Jürgen Teller with uh, Polish yes. models Anja Rubik and, and Malgosia Bella. It's, it's beautiful and, and, and it's, may I say, it's very different uh, from the other Vogue's I've seen. Would you mind describing it for us? We've always wanted, both Kasia Kulczyk, the founder of Visteria, Malgosia Bella, who is our editor-at-large, and myself, we always knew we wanted to work with Jürgen Teller. And we knew that if we wanted Jürgen to be involved, we would have to make this a very special project. We also wanted, like I said, to make it immediately recognizable to the Polish reader as something Polish, shot in Poland for the Polish uh, reader. The most Polish thing I could think of, it's a very divisive building. It's the Palace of Culture and Science in, in the center of Warsaw, which was actually a gift from Stalin in 1955 to the Polish people. For my parents' generation, people in their 60s, 70s, it's, a, it's still a symbol of communism. For someone like myself, I've grown up with it. And for me, it is, for better or worse, the symbol of Warsaw, as it is for, for, for my friend Margosha and our contemporaries. It's a very recognizable landmark in, in Warsaw, and it's recognizable to everyone all over Poland as something Polish. Well, we shot in November for the March issue. It's a bit bleak outside, it's, as you can see in the picture. It's, uh, you can actually see it's just started to snow. 
but we wanted to keep it that way because this is Poland and uh, in March in Poland it does still tend to snow. We made the decision to leave it as, as clean as possible, to make it as graphic as possible, just to have the tower and Margosha and Anya and the Black Volga, which is another relic of our past in, here in Poland. It's not a Polish car, but it's uh, very symbolic for Poles here. And altogether, it makes for, for a very graphic, striking image. And Philip, may I ask, you know, of course, you were mentioning about the divisive building as well. At the same time that Poland, you know, is growing, the luxury market is doing very well. Of course, you know, there's some controversies about in the political side with the conservatism of law and justice. Do you think the magazine will be touching perhaps a, a, some political aspects of, of Polish society as well? Well, I think, I mean, these days it's impossible not to be political and anything that you say or do or produce or show has a political aspect to it. We're Vogue, we're not overtly political, but on the other hand, we are for Polish women, first and foremost, and uh, our interest is is their interest. Their interests are our interests, and we, you know, we have to have their backs. So we are on the side of Polish women. Great. And and another thing that I, I love, because here at the stack, we, you know, we value print a lot, and, and I saw that your initial print run is 160,000 copies. That's very yes. confident. I, I, I like it. <laughs> like I said, we, both myself and, and everyone involved, we, we know that um, the market has been waiting for this for a long time. People are very excited. It's a milestone in, in Polish media, and perhaps not, not just media. We are very confident, and uh, it's the first issue. It's a very strong issue. It's uh, proven to be a controversial issue. So I think you know that, that risk we took, um, well, you can see it paying off right now. It's, uh, I keep getting text messages and, and emails all day from, from friends and, and acquaintances saying they can't find the magazine anywhere because it's sold out in all the kiosks and all the other points of sale. So um, we're, we're very pleased. I think we've already established on this programme, Fernando, that fashion magazines would certainly be nothing without great photography and great photographers. On the programme this year, we had the pleasure of speaking with the Italian-born photographer and director Mario Sorrenti. His work, of course, has been featured in Vogue, W Magazine and Harper's Bazaar, amongst others. And this year he launched a new book featuring unreleased photographs of Kate Moss, who he used to date, actually. It's a beautiful and intimate volume and I went to a hotel in London to speak to him. I was studying painting at school and sculpture, a school of visual arts. Through some friends, I came across photography. They were studying photography, and I just fell in love with photography at that point. I was living in New York. It was 1989. Once I discovered photography, I dropped painting, and I dropped out of school, and I was like, that's it. I'm just going to take pictures. I want to learn how to do photography. And... I started modeling and I met a model agent and modeling a little bit in New York here and there. And I started taking some pictures of some models and stuff in New York. And then my agent was like, oh, why don't you go to Europe and, you know, try and make some money in Europe? You know, there's a there's a lot of models there and there's a big market there and stuff. And I was like, OK, that'd be great. You know, I'd love to go and uh, discover England and uh, France and so I went, it was actually on a modeling job here in London that I met Kate 
for the first time. I was 19 years old. My heart just stopped. It was like, wow, oh my God, she's, this girl's amazing. And she was funny and quirky and beautiful. And, and then I didn't see her for a while again. And then we met up again through some friends and stuff a couple of months later. And a few months after that, we started dating. And the pictures we see in the book, at what stage would, did you ever thought that you were going to release them to the world? The pictures in the book were all shot between 1991 and 93. There's like about two or three pictures that I had printed before that had kind of been around a little bit, but never really published in any books or anything. All the rest of the photographs just sat in my archives for 20 years until about 10 years ago, my wife started archiving and digitizing all my film and putting everything in order and she came across all the photographs and she was like, you should really see these pictures, they're great. And I was like, oh, I didn't really have much interest and then I kind of like looked at them and then I showed them to a friend of mine that I was working with, Dennis Friedman, who is amazing creative director that I was working with a lot and he flipped out over the pictures. He was like, wow, these are amazing, you have to do something with it. So we started editing the pictures together just to see if there was anything really good there, really photographically uh, relevant. Once we started seeing all the work come together, we were like, wow, this is great. There's something really beautiful here. Let's do a book. He came to me and he was like, oh, I'm working with Fiden and this would be a great home for those photographs. Then we just got into printing and stuff. And what was uh, Kate's reaction about the pictures? Did she like to enjoy this kind of... Yeah, for her it was very sweet. It was like looking back at all the pictures and remembering those years and those times. And, you know, oh, I remember when that happened or this or that. And she really loved the pictures and really enjoyed looking at them. And also really understood the body of work and what we had edited together. And I think she was very um, supportive and gave us her blessing and stuff. Clearly she was your muse at the time. And do you think she influenced your, your work you know, after this shoot as well? Katie and I were together. We were living together. We grew up together in those three years a lot. We both started with nothing and then both began our careers. That was something that you kind of never forget in your life. You know, we were a big part of each other's careers and lives. And then we continued to work together through the last 20 years, 25 years and stuff. So, and we remain good friends. So we've influenced each other a lot. Imagine living with somebody who's like completely obsessed with photography and constantly absorbing everything about it and the artists and the art of photography and everything. So inevitably you're going to start looking at what you do as a model and photography in a completely different way. For me, coming from America and coming here to England and meeting a girl like Kate who was, had so much style and she was so cool and simple and easy and it was like, and that was a big influence on me as well from a cultural and stylistic point of view and stuff. So we had a, a very powerful exchange of who we were and also a very powerful bond, I think. 
Yeah, well, and you can see that in the pictures, in a way. Uh, and Mario, just a question. I mean, the book is a thing of beauty, wonderful uh, pictures, wonderful format as well. I was wondering, are you still very much in love with print in general? Because, of course, you work for several magazine titles. Do you still have that passion? Do you still think perhaps print is still king? Yeah, for me, I love print. I love it so much. And just the idea that it might disappear one day just breaks my heart. And I don't think it will, because there is just nothing like holding a print in your hand, whether it's a magazine, a book, an actual photographic print. I love to see my work printed in magazines and in books. It's very intimate. You're very right, because people say, oh, print is dying, perhaps in the world of newspapers. But when it comes to fashion, I think there is something to be said about touching, you know, a magazine and, and looking at a photo shoots by, by you, for example, or any other great photographer. Do you think, I think fashion, I think, would be safe for now when it comes to, to print in a way? Yeah, I think so. I, there's a, a lot of magazines that are coming out. There's such an incredible saturation of magazines and... Every day you think people are saying, oh, it's going to disappear. And then you see another magazine appearing and stuff. So let's say digital media does take over at one point. I don't think magazines will completely disappear. Actually, I think they will become more treasured and more important. Finally, on this fashion-focused programme, we look at a magazine that had long traced the ins and outs of British high society, with a lineage traceable all the way back to a journal that first appeared in 1709. Tatler might just be the original social media. And more than three centuries later, the mix of glamour, fashion and politics... Fernando certainly remains compelling. Anton, since February, the magazine has a new editor, Richard Dannen, who has undertaken something of a spruce up, uh, bringing new features to the most traditional of titles, while of course keeping the tongue-in-cheek approach uh, of the title. I spoke to Richard here at Midori House earlier this year. The initial reaction, I guess, we could see in the circulation figures from my first issue going up. So I guess that's a, a vote of confidence. And the September issue did really well. Too, so it's nice to see the figures and sometimes see that we're bucking a trend on newsstand. And there's been some very smart changes there as well. For them, I loved it, the bystander, which you know, which used to yeah, be great. Yeah, I, I moved the party pages to the front. Actually, it turns out, and I didn't actually know this fully when I did it, Tina Brown's in the 80s, her party pages were, were at the front as well. So it's not such a revolutionary thing to have done. But really what I did do was... Um, rename the whole front of book section Bystander. Bystander was actually a separate magazine that merged with Tatler in the 60s. So I really wanted to kind of grow that bit of the brand again. So I renamed the whole front of book Bystander and really to have the parties at the front and then followed by fashion pages and kind of trend pages and kind of social stories. I really wanted it to be these are the people at the parties and then this is kind of shows you how to live like these people, how to dress like them what they're reading, like what they're interested in. So that was the kind of idea behind it. 
One of the things also I love about Tatler is kind of the humor. You know, it's a cheeky magazine, even when you compare to other kind of lifestyles or fashion magazines. So do you think that remains important in the DNA of the brand? Yeah, I think for me, wit comes across in a kind of more sophisticated way. I think wit, visual wit for Tatler is really important. I think our fashion is really glamorous, but also you can sometimes see kind of wit in some of the concepts what i didn't want tatler to be is have a kind of puerile like boarding school sense of humor i wanted it to be a very kind of sassy and sophisticated magazine as well but i think you know an article about charity galas is always kind of be a bit tongue-in-cheek because you know it sort of comes with that world. And the fashion is fabulous. I mean, I have the summer issue here with me. You have an amazing fashion shoot with Sabine Gatti. Yeah, you know? yeah no, Fantastic I love... Fantastic clothes, I mean. So tell us a bit more. Did you change anything with the way the magazine approaches fashion? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I absolutely felt that it's not an impossible thing to have a magazine with good journalism and really good fashion. It was one of the things that I really wanted to do from the very beginning was kind of really get the fashion taken seriously. Obviously, Tatler, you know, we work with incredible partners and, and luxury fashion brands and I really wanted it to be a kind of showcase for them as well. I think the amazing thing about Tatler is that it's really the one magazine which has the readers who can buy the stuff in it, which kind of makes things a little bit different and I wanted to have incredible contributing fashion editors and stylish people to help me put together this glamorous thing, yeah. Talking about the reader of Tatler, you mentioned, you know, I'm sure a lot of people, they, they, they can buy all those things, but do you think perhaps you get a, a little bit of a young crowd or even international one as well, or the public is quintessentially British? No, no, Tatler? I think Tatler's got a very mixed kind of reader. Obviously, it's very popular in the UK. It is essentially a British magazine. I mean, I definitely want to grow it into something even more international. I mean, actually, you know, I know that it's very popular in America, it's very popular in the Middle East, it's very popular in Russia, where of course they have their own edition as well. But it is a mix. I think it all comes out of this British sensibility. But you'll see in my first few issues, I really wanted to have more international stories, you know, in the first issue about the princes in Riyadh being locked up in the Ritz-Carlton by the Crown Prince, you know, it doesn't have to be British stories, but it should be, you know, we live in this international world, and we all read news stories from around the world. So I don't think Tatler should just be kind of focused on stuff in Britain. And one of the things as well that Tatler always did very well was the kind of the special supplements that come with the magazine, either the travel or health and, and plastic. Yeah, no, we one. absolutely, we yeah, have. It, I've, I've inherited loads of supplements, you know, virtually with every issue. They're absolutely incredible. I spent a lot of time working on them. I think, you know, they sit around, you know, even longer perhaps than, than the main issue. So absolutely, the cosmetic surgery guide is really important. When I just got the job, our brilliant health and beauty director, who I inherited, had, had done the supplement and she gave a breakfast, which I attended at the Savoy. And all these doctors were coming up to me saying, Richard, we have to be in Tatler because, you know, they have clients who get on planes from Dubai and Moscow and, and, and wherever and they land at Heathrow and they get cars straight to Harley Street clutching Tatler. So it's the kind of Bible for that. But there are other really important strands. You know, the Tatler Schools Guide, which runs with the October issue. I mean, that's a very, very important thing for the kind of education industry in this country. And of course, people from all over the world look at schools and boarding schools here for their children. So that's really important. I think it's, you know, really the only kind of independent schools magazine of its kind which has these sort of completely 
brilliant and honest reviews of what these schools are like. And, you know, when we launch it, it was amazing walking into the ballroom of this hotel in the West End. And it was just absolutely packed with headmasters and teachers from the most famous schools in the world. And they were sort of really excited to be part of it. So, yeah. Richard, I have a curiosity. I mean, you being the editor of Tatler, because, of course, you, you cover celebrities, high society. But sometimes I know you can be tongue in cheek with Dan as well. But how is your relationship with, with those people? Because sometimes, you know, they can be featured in a nice way, but sometimes they can be like a, a funny, a little bit snarky comment here and there. You have to be have to be quite a lot of kind of skills to deal with everyone in a way. Yeah, look, I definitely want Tatler to have a sense of humor. And, you know, in the current issue, the December issue, you know, we've got the party awards and in it you've got kind of you know best party of the year but you've also kind of got breakout socialite and and these things but you know it's done worst with worst accident exactly but you know <laughs> it's done with uh it, it's not unkind you know that those kind of things you know have a sense of humor you know i'd be very surprised if if the people receiving those awards were kind of devastated by it and i, I wouldn't want that at all you know tatler's got this great history i mean really when it started it was a it was a, a satirical magazine so it was the really the first kind of thing of its kind when it was founded in 1709 it was covering the coffee houses of st james's and you know it was really writing in a way that had never been done before in the early 18th century it was a time of political unrest and the war of the spanish succession and going towards the end of Queen Anne's reign. It was a sort of, London was this kind of real melting pot of, you know, politics and glamour and, and fashion. And Tatler was the first, it was a newspaper three times a week. And it was really the first kind of publication of its kind to write about those people and sort of really get the inside access that, that we still have now. What can you say to us, I mean, for, for 2019? Do you have any any plans or just continue what you're doing? And... Yeah, no, definitely. I, um, I mean, every issue kind of has its own kind of themes and sort of meanings and, the great thing for me was to be able to go to the kind of collections and see and do the shows and, and really now plan the season properly. So that's a nice thing to be able to do. We're working on, on the big fashion issues for next year. And, you know, I think there'll be some interesting political stories we can do. Obviously, you know, Brexit and all those kind of things. And there's always sort of interesting access we can get in the world of Westminster. Um, so, yeah, I think it's more of the same. I think what's really important is, is not to consider you know, websites as, as, as a dumping ground for what, what doesn't work for print. I think different, you know, when we have features meetings and fashion meetings, we divide stuff up. It's not, one thing's not better than the other. They're just both incredible different ways of, of, of getting the content out. And that is all for this fashion-focused and fashion-forward programme. Thanks, Fernando, for your work as producer, as always. You were certainly a busy man when it came to covering fashion this year. Let's keep voguing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, If you want to send Fernando some voguing tips or any other comments or queries, keep them polite. Uh, You can find him at fp at monocle.com. My name's Tom Edwards. Thank you very much indeed for tuning in. 